0: This is Cybite, episode 76, for January 8th, 2013. and Welcome to SciByte, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science show, live every Tuesdays over at 7.30 p.m. Pacific at jblive.tv, fresh for downloads on Wednesdays over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you.
1: Happy science. Welcome back. Welcome back.
0: We took a few weeks off for the holidays. Yes. And uh, collected a lot of science, really. Actually, that time was well spent. It wasn't wasted.
1: No, it wasn't.
0: It's like you had some sort of giant science collector, and now now you're going to unspool that collection in this week's episode, right? I'm pretty sure so. Well, what are we talking about today?
1: (laughs) All right, we're going to take a look at my version of the best and worst of science stories of 2012, the science behind a few New Year's resolutions, IQ scores, a Martian meteorite, curiosity news, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week.
0: Right on. Well, let's start with our first news story. All right, Heather, what's our first story?
1: All right. Even I cannot withhold my ability to do best and worst of the year.
0: I love these. I love these. I can't help it.
1: Yes, I know. So could I. (laughs) I got around to it. and I was like, oh, why didn't I do that last show? Mm. I was like, oh, yeah, we were talking about the end of the world.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. That was our last show.
1: So now the the year finished out, the world didn't end and we're we're much happier. So, I'll start off with some of the worsts or retractions, which means somebody came out, published something and then they had to go back and say take backs.
0: And I should say, I think you called the whole uh, end of the world thing.
1: Yeah. You I'm were never sure.
0: you were never buying it from the beginning and I think you went on nope. record in our last episode and said uh, it's not going to happen.
1: Yep. You called it, I- it. I'm glad that worked out.
0: Yeah yeah that that, that 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 did actually work out pretty, well. although I tell you, I kind of had plans otherwise too. so you
1: know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go
0: all right. so uh, where do we start?
1: All righty. One of the major retractions that people may remember is the faster than light neutrinos. Oh yeah, it was back in two thousand and eleven that the story came out about you know they were going they measured neutrinos going you know just a little bit faster than the speed of light. It's like 0.0025%. But then in February of last year, they came out and said, oh, wait, maybe there's some wiring issues, maybe some GPS satellite timing issues. Yeah. But there were a couple of different things that weren't quite adding up for them. And it did turn out there was a loose optic fiber that was including a delay in their timing. So then they came back and said, no, wait, they are not traveling faster than the speed of light. But for a little while, everyone was questionably excited and all the news people were crazy.
0: And I remember I was sort of a bit flabbergasted when you when you essentially at the end of what was happening, you said it kind of comes down to just a loose wire. And I just, I I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe after all this hubbub, it was a loose wire.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And I feel bad because like one of the first things that I'd said about it was immediately like equipment. Yeah,
0: you did. I blew it off.
1: And then I like, I took myself back a few steps. And then I still got a message back going, hello, these are smart people. And I was like, I know they're smarter than me. Still, when cooler stuff happens than what I I expect at work.
0: I don't even think you first covered it when it broke in the show because you were like, this doesn't sound right. My instincts are saying... Or something. Or when we did cover it, you you mentioned you were skeptical. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think it came out that day and I held off to look at it.
0: Yeah, because you were skeptical. I remember that.
1: Yes. (laughs) Okay. Well... You know, when I have a test going and there's awesome results, I'm like, hmm, awesome results? Maybe not. Oh. All right, let's t- Where did they go wrong?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, that's good. That's good.
1: But, you know, it's not something that they could have necessarily hunted down. The Large Hadron Collider, CERN, it is very, very big. It's, you know, miles and miles across. I don't remember exactly how big it was. Yeah, but a lot of parts. A lot there's of a lot of things going on there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure.
1: So, couldn't couldn't blame him all that much, but it was a hope and a prayer there for a little while for people.
0: Yeah, it would have been cool for space travel.
1: Yeah, that would have been nuts.
0: Just would have gotten my neutrino drive and uh, I'd make it to <laughs> Alpha Centauri in half the time.
1: There you go. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, that was good. What's next?
1: All righty. There was some retractions from a Korean scientist named Hyun un Moon. Um, he had been publishing the scientific papers for years. Now, what happens is you put them up to peer review journals, which essentially means you post something, and then everybody else in the science community gets to glare and poke and, you know, prod at whatever your results are and try to find where you've gone wrong. Oh, kind of like YouTube comments. Yeah, very much YouTube comments so that they can almost kind of say, huh, you didn't get it right. I bet I can do it right -er." Okay, so not so much that way, but the whole idea is to say, hey, everybody, I've taken my look at it. What do you all think? And then once it gets through that process, then you can kind of take it a step further and say, okay, now everyone's got a chance to look at it. Now it actually means something. It's a
0: vetting process.
1: Yeah, it's very much a vetting process before it actually goes further into the public realm. Mm -hmm. Now, there is some editors of a medical journal who actually started becoming suspicious after years of him putting this stuff through when four reports came back after his publication within 24 hours. <laughs> now, generally these take weeks or months for people to write back in. So he's like four to 24 hours. Pretty good turnaround. Yeah. So then they started looking and looking back over the years. And apparently he had created everything from Gmail accounts to Yahoo accounts to all these different things, creating different personas and reviewing his own work. Wow. Wow. He, like, writes something up, and then he hops over to number three person and says, Wow, you're a smart guy. I see nothing wrong with this. That is shady. Yeah, but, so, I mean, just in 2012 alone, 35 papers of his were retracted. He admitting falsifying data in a handful of them. And so pretty much everything got retracted. I mean, it was studies from alcoholic liver disease to anti-cancer plant substances. There was a wide range of things that he was writing about. Wow. Now, you get these retract... I guess, you know, you get retractions every year. You know, maybe you come out and you're like, oh, wait, further results say this. But there are cases where it is somebody fudging the data a little too much or completely falsifying data. Mm-hmm. Another one, actually... an 2008 study that was proposing link between cell phone use and um cancer oh sperm count oh, yeah. sperm
0: count. oh I, i've yeah. always heard cancer
1: and can yeah cancer oh okay so you know it was making everyone kind of freak out it's like huh move cell phone from, from here to there and everyone's yeah. freaking out and that um but yeah an, another paper was that you know affecting sperm count as well and then it was funny because they were published in some really obscure papers, uh-huh. but like some things that happened, it made the news rounds. One of the guys that was on there was, you know, well-spoken, so makes the rounds of all the major pop media.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's shiny news for a little while.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then last year, um, they had to retract it because the lead author actually didn't get permission from his two co-authors to publish the thing. So according to the notice that they put up to retract it, is there's actually a lack of evidence to say that the data had really any accuracy. Oh. So they kind of had to step back on that. So, so
0: so that's, so the retraction, the retraction was not so much that he was wrong, but they just need more proof.
1: That there wasn't enough data to say he was right.
0: Right, okay, 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 all right. On the sperm count one.
1: And they can't both and of can't, okay. Okay,
0: well there you go, and so, now do you know if they're continuing his work or do they start from scratch? Well, yeah, there's
1: how does that- there's a, there's going to be people trying to look at his work or many other tests along those same lines. There's always people looking at how cell phones affect us and if there is any, you know, medical claim against them.
0: Well, I tell you, as a long time, as a long time cell phone owner and now a father of three, it hasn't seemed to have affected me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, as I said, the data doesn't say yes, so chances are—I mean—ask the magic eight ball. Chances I, are no. I, I'm okay tried. with
0: carrying two cell phones if that's what it takes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, so far the data says you're out of luck. Okay. Unfortunately. Then it's just because I'm or a big geek. Depending then. on your point of view. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, so that's a that's an interesting one. Uh, yeah. Now, what about uh, this? Failure is better. Retraction.
1: There was a Dutch uh, psychologist that claimed that failure sometimes feels better than success. He actually you know, said he had data and psychological examinations that said you're, you literally feel better when you fail. Now it appears that his data almost didn't or completely didn't exist. What? He had 31 papers retracted last year. Um, so it looks like he's been fabricating a lot of data. How does, and, how does he even get off
0: doing this? I mean, how does that happen?
1: Uh, you make... It's hard to say. There's so many different points of view and what people are going to do. I mean, at a certain point, are you so invested in an idea that you are so afraid it is wrong? You're so far down the path that it's just got to be right. So you... Especially with um, a psychologist or, you know, where you're just doing a social study or asking people questions or there's a lot of different ways, even with hard sciences. I mean, everything you go through and you're like, OK, I spent the last 10 years proving this, trying to prove this one thing. Now I got didly. Hmm. I wish I had squat. Let's try to make up something there or taking the data that you have and kind of stretching it and being like, this has got to work Right. It's got to work. Or, right. I see or that. you could just be people being dishonest. Yeah. Scientists are like everybody else. There's or somebody,
0: I, I mean, people, we know people get paid off too by corporations yeah. or whoever. Yeah. Yeah, it's but, interesting.
1: Yeah, he had another story that um, claimed that meat eaters were more selfish and less social than vegetarians. And now that data is pretty much in question too. Because I mean, everything else has been so kind of shady whether it exists now everyone's kind of looking at that one like it might not be have any data to it either
0: it seems like the real damage is done though because the the meat eater story that one i remember circulating and there was another more recent meat eating story about red meat Mm -hmm. they also didn't really pan out but unfortunately you know uh the the media picks it up and they run with it and they don't ever really run the correction
1: no that happens so often you know, we've, we've talked about it a number of times with stories that come back. <clears throat> but We're like, you see, oh wait.
0: To me, what it, the end result is, it just confuses the public, and it also sends, it also sends like this mixed message that science never really agrees. Like, oh scientists are always saying this about red wine, and then I'm and like, oh another one's coffee. Oh, coffee causes cancer. Oh, coffee is good for you. Coffee's bad for your stomach. Coffee's good for your digestive system. Goes back and forth. What do scientists know? You know, yeah, it,
1: scientists do argue a lot. They We're, do. There but, is, but there are some test results that are clear. And then there are a lot of the biological tests that really aren't clear.
0: And that's, but the, and, and then the way that, the way that th- just certain elements of the debate at different stages percolate yeah. up into the mainstream and then the yeah. corrections or adjustments, they don't ever quite percolate up. So they, like this mythos just goes out.
1: Oh yeah. Well, no, there've been a couple times, you know, that we mentioned here or other times that it's, you know, some little obscure thing that some intern catches on to and they're like, Oh my gosh, trying to make themselves climb up the ladder maybe, or look really cool or just somebody along the line goes, Hey, that's eye catching. That's a crazy headline. Let's lead with that.
0: Right. You want to be the guy that got a hundred thousand visits for that story.
1: Yeah. Well, they, yeah, they want to. So unfortunately that's not always the way it is. Not really how science works. No, so no. you have to kind of have your skeptical pants on and actually look at what's going on. So. And go into SciBite. Uh, yep. Go into SciBite.
0: But, All right. So every so, year it'll
1: happen. But
0: moving uh, on from yeah.
1: the bad. Okay. We've got my top four science stories of Tony Fell. They're mine. So some of them will appear on other awesome ones that appear everywhere in the internet's webs.
0: But the but ones they're n- just ones you've personally picked out from the ones that we've covered that you liked a lot?
1: Yep, I kind of looked over some of those lists and kind of looked over things to remember what all happened in 2012. But these are my top four that I think.
0: Okay, and boy, you know what, folks? If this is maybe your first SciBite, uh, Heather has links to all the previous episodes where we went really in-depth on these. And if you kind of want, like... Maybe a good starting point in the Cybite series, uh, this episode would probably be a good referral to some of the key episodes to catch up on. Yeah. All right. So what do we got, Heather?
1: All righty. My number four story is kind of dual. Um, the ext- I call it the extremes. Uh-huh. First, we had James Cameron, who went alone in the Challenger Deep Trench. It is 36,000 feet below sea level. Right. It is deeper than Mount Everest is tall. <laughs> Only two hu- other humans had ever visited there. And he went down in his little sub. Then you know, took some pictures and did all sorts of things. So
0: Yeah, I remember how I remember how incredible this story was just in the sense that wait a minute, James Cameron, isn't he just some a- uh, director and wait, he's yeah. he just he's breaking records in this crazy little submarine machine?
1: Uh, yeah, and he was talking about re-releasing you know, Titanic and all that kind of stuff was happening about the same time. So, but yeah, it was kind of odd. because Oh, these that's adventures. Right.
0: That's right. There was a little kind of cross promo with the, with the Titanic.
1: Yep. I yeah. remember that coming about where everyone kind of went cool, but timing question <sighs> mark. But it, I mean, they still, I mean, these, that mission itself, the images and the science they brought back are still something. Yeah. No matter what reason he may have done it for.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's so many industri- things that have happened in history that kind of have ulterior, ulterior modems behind them.
1: Yeah. And when private people are doing these type of things, even if they have a um Titanic dollars in their pocket, then it is interesting. And on the other side is still extreme in the other way. I was Felix Baumgartner when he made his Red Bull Stratus jump.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: 128,000 feet. That's over 24 miles, 39 kilometers. That was back in October. And he broke the speed of sound, actually. They did actually do- measure that. And he said he didn't really oh, feel anything. There we go. So.
0: I remember I, the thing that really stands out to me about uh, this whole jump that he did is mm-hmm. he just kind of fell. He just kind of like no big yeah. just mm, boop, and it and just falls off the mm-hmm. edge of the world
1: kind of get to the edge of it. And then it was like, they pre- specifically practiced. And he's like, okay, I just got to get to the edge of this and then bunny hop off. <laughs> and that, that's how he said it. And it wasn't because there was a lot of question about whether he would feel uh, the so- the sonic boom when he broke the speed of sound. Cause no person had ever done so without an aircraft around them. So it was some question about what would happen. What did happen. He, he said he didn't feel anything okay, at all. Okay, now,
0: so wasn't there... Uh, was it the after the sonic boom where he... There was like some sort of period where he started flipping over and over, right? And it kind of made him a little disoriented, and he kind of cut Yeah, that his- was...
1: Yeah, that was right at the first. And that was kind of expected. Jumping at that height, you know, a skydiver can kind of put their hands out and stabilize himself. Yeah, sure. Except the air is so thin, there was nothing. He He had essentially no push. You know, there was... You know, think of uh, a skydiver as kind of swimming almost in the air. There was some molecules there to, to push off of to help stabilize. But where he jumped, the atmosphere was so thin, you couldn't really. So any little minor movement could throw him into a, a spin, which happened. Yeah, okay. And so they kind of had a, they were talking to him. You watched it that day. You can kind of hear them like, hey, hi, let's see how much brain is to your blood.
0: Right, blood to your brain. But yeah, I remember.
1: (laughs) I remember watching that 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 morning and that day, and I remember they got up to the top, you know, as he was, as they were trying to stabilize the height, and he kept rising higher and higher, and I was worried, because I had some projects that were, you know, balloon, zero pressure balloon, which was like that.
0: Yeah, I remember you talking about
1: this. Yeah, and if you get to a certain height, it pops. And so he would, they had a backup system, so he could ride ride all the way down. It would have been a really rough ride when landing, but it was getting up there and the height and the altitude kept jumping. And I was like, they're probably thinking this too. They're like, all right, we want to go, but we needed to be somewhat stable. We don't need them to be rising in altitude too much. So it was probably a, a stressful few minutes for somebody. I know it was for me.
0: Do you also so, remember the sort of not. Uh- not not as big of a deal but related story was the just massive records this thing crushed for live streams it was oh, like the yeah. number one it was I forget the number now but it was really impressive
1: oh yeah not just you know it wasn't just the science and everything that happened with him jumping it was how many people were watching him
0: right and uh, it was sort of one of the first kind of like uh, you could do a real live uh, you know world event that
1: mm-hmm.
0: a lot of people could, could catch online that's just really cool really yeah and you know red bull got a lot of good pr out of it
1: oh yeah i liked the twitter that you posted that somebody had two monitors side by side linux action show on one <laughs> and watching the live stream on the other oh that's
0: right i forgot that was happening during last in fact the week that happened we watched we we, uh, we the, the jump happened in between segments so we watched That's right it. And I, I took those outtakes and I put them at the end of the episode. That was really exciting to watch that live. So, everybody got to see our reactions to it live, too.
1: Yeah. That
0: was neat. All right. Wow, that is extreme.
1: Yeah, so deep into the ocean and up into the high atmosphere, some different extremes. That's why they, they kind of went together.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 Where do we
1: My next? number three story mm-hmm. was the Dragon Spaceship. This is the first private you know, cargo mission that was sent to the space station. Right. SpaceX was able to send up over a thousand pounds of, they called it non-critical cargo, which is like food, water, clothing, um, computer hardware, all sorts of different stuff. Essentially it was things that were not mission critical. So NASA said, okay, you, you try, but we're not pinning all our hopes on you. Because at the last moment, they still could have backed off mm-hmm. and said, No, you're something's not quite right. We don't want you to, to hook up to the space station today. But they did it, and it was very exciting. I remember watching that as he kind of the uh, arm reached out to grab. Yeah. And then started pulling it in when it finally docked. And it was funny. You could see at one point they had some pictures of all the astronauts in the space station, kind of inside the the Dragon capsule. And it wasn't built for humans. It was just cargo, but they were all sitting in there, and they're like, hey, we're less cramped than we are in the uh, Soyuz launch vehicle. They're <laughs> like, hey, guys, let's move forward on that human counterpart, which they are. They are working on another, you know, the next stage in their program is to actually start putting... Seating and everything so they can bring up astronauts now spacex already has their contract for another 12 resupply missions the first one actually launched in october of 2012 but private space the private space industry is really became frontline news with that and made some huge strides and some huge firsts so that was very exciting for me
0: yeah that was a great one for the show to cover too just uh Because you were on that, you were on that, uh, you know, from very early on. You've been following that story, so the show's been following that, and then, you know, the delays, right? But it kind of played into the anticipation a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, that's you know, and it's what happens, especially with you know launch vehicles. You'll come up right to the last minute, and then Mm. wait. There's a delay. Yeah. There's the weather happened, or some sensor's gone off in the wrong way, and it's just all those kind of things that you have to play it on the safe side. So there's a lot of Callbacks, but yeah, I'm being somebody who is I'm very attuned to all the private space industry stuff. So that was definitely something I had been watching for a long time, and I was very excited to see it come to fruition.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and what it's and 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 not just that, but you know, successfully and now beginning the next stages of that relationship, and and really like the fact that it didn't blow up is really great.
1: The fact that they didn't
0: uh, crash into the station, anything. Yeah,
1: I didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> They'd already had like another mission that it wasn't quite as well known that they had to go up and just like hang out, I don't know if exactly, like essentially a mile. I don't know the exact distance, but their whole plan was to go up there and hang out a certain distance away from the space station for a little while and then land. That's all they could do. They just had to prove that they could get up to the space station and match orbit. So there was a number of different things that NASA required from them to do to prove that they could do before they got to come close to the space station. Mm-hmm. And even in that mission, they were like, I don't know, there may have been five or six stopping points where it was, come to this position, hold. NASA says you have the green light. And you get to a certain point, they had red light. It was red light, green light all the way to the space station. But they were able to get there, and they have their co- big contract, so I'm glad about that. That's and hopefully the, some of the other major corporations will be able to move forward as well.
0: I got to agree. that's definitely going to be one of the ha- highlights of 2012. Yes. All right. So what is number two then?
1: My number two might startle a few people, because number two is where I put Curiosity. The Curiosity rover.
0: The, the, the landing on Mars.
1: The landing on Mars. And, and uh... <clears throat> and, and
0: that, that historic moment where everybody freaks out.
1: Yes. Yes. And, you know, my IRC chat, Nick, being mars base. I was totally, you know, unbiased in, in the whole Mars thing, but it didn't quite make my number one. I am, was, I am...
0: I am... I am... I sh- Ah, shocked. I don't... Yeah, I, I figured
1: I'm, that would shock a few people. I am... I am...
0: Yeah, I am completely shocked by that because uh, I don't know if I mean I can't I cannot relate to you how awesome the experience it was just NASA went all out with like oh, yeah. 3D real time reenactments on my computer and I have a 30 yeah. inch screen here and I had it full screen and I was watching that and then I had another screen with multiple monitors going watching different live streams chatting in our chat room I mean mm-hmm. it was incredible to watch it happen so for me it was it was oh, yeah. I think the well there were a
1: lot of nail biters there for NASA as well. It was the first of its kind landing. I mean, all the other you know, you've seen the big essentially airbags bouncing around Mars, and that's how they've landed before. This one had the jet pack. So it had high speed parachutes that brought it in, and then it had a little jet pack that popped off right. and brought hovered it down, lowered it via a crane. It was crazy. There's you know, so no there were all sorts of things work. that so could have scarily gone wrong. But they hit a hole in one. The <laughs> rover landed less than a mile and a half from the center of their target landing area.
2: So so
0: Pretty they said, like, this
1: is the landing area we want. There's the center point. They landed a mile and a half away from that.
0: And let's not forget one of the other really awesome, like, look at them go, is when they uh, timed it so that way the uh, reconnaissance orbiter would uh, get a snapshot of the yes. lander landing.
1: <laughs> yes. It's just so slick. Oh, I know, you... For something like that, you really plan ahead and you talk to the other teams. You're like, "Okay, guys, we can totally do this."
0: I mean, it's not like you're like, you know, driving to somebody's house and no. you know, I'm going to be there in about a half hour. My Tom Tom says.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's no, it's not quite that.
0: No, no, it was great. It was that was, uh, uh, and and it's going to not only was it a great story for 2012, but we're going to we're going to keep getting great stories like.
1: Oh yeah, it's all, all for... 2013. Yeah, for 2013 and beyond, hopefully.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: So, I mean, it's, you know, it's done this thing. It's found presence of various things of life. It's seen location, you know, where all the elements necessary that could be for life, that would be required for life. Um, you know, I've seen the presence of running water. There was a, you said, okay, the, the analysts of, and that analytics of this area say, that there was a, a stream flowing here. It was going this speed. It was this deep. So there are all sorts of things. Not necess- We've known that there was water on Mars. So, but it was giving us a better idea of what was going on in that location. That there was a nice stream. How long it lasted. So, it's a lot of interesting things have gone on in here recently. They found the um, some. They said they identified some possible simple organics. Some carbon, maybe, but they weren't quite sure yet. You know, just before, um, carbon might be more indicative of life or past life, but they're still not quite sure whether that was from Earth or Right. actually they found it on Mars. So they'll have to do a couple more tests in different locations to see what they find.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, uh, what do you say we take a page from big media? and take a quick break before we reveal the number one. All righty. dramatic, little dramatic build-up there before our pause. Just a real quick mention, just to remind folks, uh, Jupiter Broadcasting, as you know, is funded primarily. The main source of our funding comes from our audience. And there's a few different ways you can do that, and I just want to remind you that we have these browser extensions. And we have these linked at the bottom of our website. If you install this Chrome extension or this Firefox extension, uh, then when you shop at either Amazon or Netflix or Newegg or, you know, any other, that, uh, we have a bunch of sites, actually, that are in the extension, too, it'll automatically tag a portion of your sop- shopping session to be contributed to Jupyter Broadcasting. Now, just to note, the Chrome extension just recently had an update to add uh, additional support for Amazon Canada, and uh, so it might you might see it pops up and says, hey, I need more permissions. That's just, we're not we're not actually doing anything more. They just sort of redefined what permissions do, and so... That's why it says that. So if you see that, you have to say allow. And you might check, double-check your extensions in Chrome to make sure it's turned on because it might have gotten turned off because of that. And it shouldn't be a problem anymore. Also, just a note for you Amazon customers in Canada, Amazon launched Amazon Prime for Canada today, and I'm a longtime Prime member. And when you're shopping over at Amazon, either in the U.S., Canada, U.K., wherever you might be, we'll have a link to this in the show notes. I want to make a recommendation this week for Firefly. Yeah. Oh, yes. That Firefly, right, Heather? I mean, yes. The Firefly. Everybody knows it. About that, But it, this is the complete series on blu ray ninety-nine from Amazon. And if you haven't picked this up yet, you need Definite to do it. You need to do this. This is a must-watch. This is really good. So uh, Firefly oh, yeah. is our pick this week. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And if you click that link, then a portion of that purchase will support this here show. And we appreciate everybody who does that. All yes. right, Heather. We did the uh, dramatic build-up, I think. Yes. So now should we do the big reveal? If, if landing a machine with a laser attached to it with rockets didn't make your number one. No, not quite. (laughs) What did make your number one?
1: The Higgs boson. Uh Oh. Yes, scientists at CERN, they used the Large Hadron Collider to detect a particle whose characteristics match those of what we think the Higgs boson should be. Now, the Higgs boson is the particle that we think is part of a field and that's responsible for giving everything mass it means that the mic that i'm talking to actually exists it has mass the computer in front of you or whatever your earphones or speaker that you're listening to has mass gave everything a reason that it could actually be now it's definitely a boson which is a type of particle but To identify it specifically as the Higgs, they're taking a little bit more time to analyze all its characteristics, its spin, its exact weight. Now, they've come out every couple months and they've said, had some more data. The last batch of data that I saw said that they were much closer to saying, yes, we're almost absolutely sure that this is the Higgs boson.
0: I don't know if I still fully understand what this means. So, uh, so, uh, matter is made from this particle
1: it's think of it as hmm. all right think of a crowd in the mall so this is early early in the morning there's only the you know few people sometimes older folks walking the rounds of the mall doing their walk so there's not many people and you're cruising down the aisle. You're able to go really fast because there's nothing really there. Now, Christmas time, Black Friday, 10,000 people are there. You're going really slow. So the people are like a field or like the Higgs field. And so it's slowing it, you down just enough. And that's kind of what gives you mass. It means that Without it, everything would just atoms would just be flittering around at the speed of light or whatever it is um, or whatever they would be, but nothing would be able to be cohesive together and make anything. It's the glue yeah, it's yeah, it literally is. It's the glue that exists to sort of catch everything and let it ex- let it be solid matter. Hmm. So it's a very you know one of those basic tenets of physics that is gonna have an effect on a really wide array of sciences in physics in general, of astronomy, cosmo- cosmology, all these type of things. So getting one step closer to that was pretty was pretty amazing. Now there were a lot of talk about making it the um Nobel Nobel Award. But that didn't happen. Well really because it wasn't a for sure answer yet or not. Hmm. But the only reason there was pressure is because uh, you can see in the in the show notes, I said, uh, there's a Peter Higgs reaction. It's older gentleman, you kind of see him wiping his tears away. And that is one of the, essentially original three men who hypothesized that this would exist. They said, all right, here's our theory. This is what it should be. This is how it would act. And now finally um were able to see into that, see those results, and able to measure them. And they're the much older gentlemen and they were essentially assumed that they would never see in their lifetime.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that would be pretty powerful.
1: They're like, you know what? I never expected my theory to actually go m- many places where when I could actually see it. So I was, it I was kind the, of happy for them.
0: The other thing is, is they're taking so much ca- they're taking so much care here because. Uh, if this is right, it answers a lot of really big questions, right? I mean, oh this yeah, is-
1: it it becomes, you know, it is a, you know, it a variable, you know, x or n that we might have learned in school. It's not a question mark. Then x becomes something, and that can lead on to a whole bunch of other answers and fill in the blanks here or there. Make you know, mess up, mess answers up that we think are right elsewhere. <laughs> It'll it'll yeah. it'll that, make things be too. happier and make things sadder.
0: Right, I was I was thinking that same thing uh, is, and that's always that's always entertaining from our perspective.
1: Yes, where we go, hmm, didn't think that was gonna be there. Let's see, let's go back.
0: Yeah, this. Uh, I mean, the Mars rover will be running for years, and we'll oh, hear yeah. stories for about it from years. But this. Yep. This. Number one, the Higgs boson story is probably going to be playing out for the rest of our lives if it's.
1: Yeah, it is a stamp in science history books. Yeah, that is it. It is a stamp. It is there. That is going to be there.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it was actually very exciting. I kind of like at first glance, I thought, oh, of course, curiosity is going to be my number one. And then I was looking at all the stories. I'm like, no, actually, pretty sure this one beats it out.
0: It must have been a tough call, though.
1: It was right at first, but I had to, I had to unbias myself just enough to I, say
0: it seems like the right. It seems like the right. That call. is a big
1: enough thing that happened in 2012. In terms of what we it.
0: experience personally, I feel like the Mars landing had more of a personal impact. Oh on me. yes, but is, yeah, it's, it
1: affected and so many people more. Saw that happening and it affected more people to kind of see it happening. There weren't many people who had the Twitter stream up on their Kindle and trying to go to sleep <laughs> like waking up and checking it. Like I had work the next day. My husband's like, you need to sleep, you know. You have to drive in the morning. I'm like, okay. So I left my like suggested. So I had my Kindle next to my bed. So had it set up for a couple Twitter streams. So I'm like, mm-hmm. sleep. Wake up. Ooh, check, check, check okay. I, and essentially, it happened and I roll over and I'm like, look, look, it happened. That's nice. Talk to you in the morning about it. But that's kind of how it was. I was like, okay, I'm happy now.
0: The other the other really awesome thing about 2012, and it's just going to be true in 2013 too, is how much of this stuff there's like a lot of media. Some of it was, some of the events actually happened live. Okay. I mean, a lot of the ones we talked about actually were live streamed. Uh, yeah. But then even like uh, some of the other ones, uh, you know, the YouTube videos are a plenty afterwards. Where oh uh, yes, and, and that's that's so the access to like that's neat for you and I too. But like even kids and stuff, like that's mm-hmm. way way cool. Just oh have yeah. that all I mean available it's not, for free. and it's not just
1: you know you or me, a random person, 272 putting up these type of videos. I mean NASA and JPL and Discovery News and all these kind of major major entities have YouTube accounts and they're really active <laughs> about yeah. Putting snippets of what's going on up on the website.
0: So, right? So, a
1: lot of good video up there, too.
0: Yeah. I mean, almost every major NASA thing has a Twitter account. It's all, they're just all about it now. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, all right. So, there you go. Uh, Heather has um, like a a million links in that block of text in the show notes, including our previous coverage, uh, updated links to newer versions of stuff, videos to what we talked about, all that kind of stuff. And like I said, that'd also be a great point for jumping into uh, previous episodes of Bite to sort of get caught up on some of the big stories. And we'll probably be hearing updates, at least on some of these, in uh, future episodes. Mm -hmm. All right, Heather. Well, with all that filed, then I believe it's time for the NewsBite. All right, Heather. What is our first story in the NewsBite?
1: All right. It's been a whole bunch of time talking about 2012. But 2013, we're here. People make New Year's resolutions. Yeah. Sometimes people do. Sometimes they last more than two weeks. But they make a lot of New Year's resolutions. One of the top ones is about dieting. Yeah. Now, of course, on the whole, at first glance, losing weight, you can, you know, adjust your cholesterol, your blood pressure, triglycerides, blood sugar. All those kind of things can improve but the problem lies in if you sp- yo-yo diet essentially it goes so crazy that you lose a whole bunch of weight but there is no way in the world you can keep that strict regimen up and so you gain it all back now all of those things cholesterol blood pressure all of those come right back to where you were but in some cases they get even worse yeah so so much of it is about maintaining a healthy weight not worrying so much about, it's, it's really hard to say, not worrying so much about a couple of numbers on a scale that you step on. It's about what is healthy and changing your overall diet and lifestyle. So it's something you can actually keep up. Like, there is no way in the world I could have a diet that says I could never have a chocolate chip cookie <laughs> or I never have a bowl of ice cream. Right. There is absolutely no way I could keep to that. So I have to be realistic. <laughs> I just yeah. say, okay, I have to write it in so that I can occasionally have a little bit of ice cream or chocolate chip cookie.
0: It's got to be a lifestyle.
1: Yeah. So you just have to make it and realize yeah. what you can do. Yeah. You know what? Even if it's not what you want to get to, you're like, all right, I want to eat out less than two times a week. If you eat out four times a week, just shrink it by a little bit. Every little bit helps. Yeah. Yep. You know? Yep. hmm So it's more about that. It's tough the
0: uh, quote unquote yo yo diet and the sort of effect it can have on you know actually ending up with the end result of adding weight. That's a that can be real really discouraging.
1: Yeah, you can you know end up with if that and like I said the the health benefits are far outweighed when you regain all that weight. Yeah. To. you, feel you know, make people. it even worse. You
0: feel for people because it is challenging, you know. you. Oh, it is incredibly challenging. You we're kind of programmed, I think, to look for sort of a fast solution. So there's that, yeah. that up against. And then two, there's there's so many different options on the market that, you know, if you consume too much of any of it, it's bad for you. And it's just kind of plentiful yeah. in everything now. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's it's a very hard time.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the other half of that is exercising, you know, so it's, you're going to go extreme on the dieting which is not good. And then you're going to go extreme on the exercise which you don't have to do. Now they have there's been a study about olympic medalists. You know, they live longer than the general population. Mm. You know, regardless of their country of origin, what medal they won, what type of sport they played. So, well that's it seems kind of obvious to me. Gee, person who is on the olympic team and is doing all sorts of really smart exercise. Stuff.
0: and I'm sure good diet yeah
1: yeah good diet is going to be slightly healthier than me okay yeah it, that I can accept that but the thing that I noted was that was interesting is that well first gold silver and bronze didn't make much difference as to health <laughs> or survivability okay and in fact um well you had medalists in except for the where you have power sports um, where it's you know very physical Boxing, kind of things where you're really hammering your body, then it's not so good. But in general, um, they tracked almost ten thousand athletes who took part in at least one Olympic game between eighteen ninety six and nineteen thirty six. So thirty, I mean forty three different disciplines, you know, of sport. So different levels of exercise, different levels of physical contact,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they found that essentially golfers had about the same as like swimmers that there was really not a significant amount of difference depending on the sport.
0: So that would seem like a golfer and a swimmer have not just like a slightly different exercise regime, but probably a pretty, pretty like totally different, totally different exercise regime. Right?
1: Yeah. Well, the point so is, it is more about it's- diet. Well, eating healthier and just 20 minutes a day of some sort of physical activity. Uh, I mean, that's a golfer is walking around. You know, there is a lot of effort and well, thought, mentally effort and swing, but there's a lot of walking around the green and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, 20 minutes a day that, I mean, high cardiovascular, you know, cycling, rowing, gymnasts, tennis, you know. None of them really, I don't think it came down to all the weight golf uh, per se, but fairly close. But I mean, even tennis. Um, so there was a lot of different, you know, how moderate or how severe the cardiovascular activity was or how intense the sport was. And, you know, it only got you so much extra. So, I mean, it's really kind of clues in that you don't have to go crazy just some sort of activity is, is going to do ya. Yeah. you. Yeah. Know, you don't have to go crazy on the diet. You don't have to go crazy on the exercise. So it's not as scary as it might think. It's just taking it smart and hopefully being able to last more than two weeks.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's key, right? Pick something that you can.
1: Yep, that you can do and take whatever steps you can and don't worry about if it's as far as you quote or unquote should go.
0: All right, Heather, well, that is the two-bite news. Or, I mean, that is the uh, the news bite, but now yes. now it is time to unveil the two-bite news. What? Not that one. Not that one. I oh, said the oh, two-bite. No. See, this is what got well, me all tripped up. You know what I do? You had I, the band
1: queued up I, the wrong song.
0: I, I blame the holiday break. They didn't practice. They drank too much eggnog. You know what do. Yeah,
1: they're, they're hungover. <clears throat> Poor band.
0: All right, here we go. Now okay. they're ready. All right. Okay. This next story, I think, grabbed a lot of people's attention this week. Definitely caught my attention, and yes. I can't—I cannot wait for you to tell me about it. I want to read the headline, though, because I know everybody's been waiting all episode. The IQ score is not all that is cracked up to be. Is this true?
1: Yes. Well, I've kind of thought this for a long time. It's not obvious. One test is not going to give you all the answers. And they've actually created the largest online intelligence study on record. Now they went they kind of thought that they would post it and get, you know, a couple hundred results. They had over a hundred thousand participants from all over the world. Now they asked him to respond to uh twelve different tests looking at memory, reason, reasoning, attention, planning abilities, and then a survey about, you know, your background, your lifestyle habits. You know, like I said, they expected a few hundred responses. But they had a little bit more than that. People of all ages, cultures, creeds from all corners of the world. And so what they're able to do is take this wide range and really kind of compare, contrast everything. And what happened was it came down to essentially three components. Short-term memory, reasoning, and vernal, verbal. And then they used some um, fMRIs, which is functioning MRIs, which is essentially looking at it while your brain is active doing something so they were able to kind of map out what was going on so there is the intelligent the IQ test itself really wasn't giving the whole answer
2: mm.
1: so if you don't score what you think you should there it's not really that big a deal because if it was a more complete rounded test in multiple different ways you might score very well somewhere else mm. i mean for think about it You know, I could take a test and, you know, score fairly well. And then a, you know, somebody in a more, you know, work color, you know, job could have to take it and not do so well. But they could do, you know, I've seen guys who can do sine and cosine in their head and fractions to decimals. They just know it because they have to know it for their job. Now, could they sit down and take a two-hour test and do as well as me? Probably not but they are really intelligent just in a different way that that specific, you know, an IQ test by itself couldn't measure properly. Mm -hmm. So, and oddly enough, it came down to a couple of different things. Um, Oddly enough, people who played video games regularly did significantly better in reasoning and short-term memory. Hello. Yep, so, and smokers performed poorly on the short-term memory and verbal factors.
0: Womp, womp.
1: And people who suffer from anxiety did bad on short-term memory in particular.
0: Mm.
1: So gamers now have short-term memory, so they'll remember for about five minutes that they have a good reason to play video games. <laughs> uh, smokers will forget that smoking is bad for them and not talk about it. Right. And then people who are having anxiety problems this will freak them out even more.
0: Now they're really and, nervous.
1: And yeah, they get really nervous and then mess with their short-term memory even further. So. It is
0: interesting though because you know whenever we try, to, so I believe. Oh gosh, and and so isn't, isn't there even some question on how the original IQ was really kind of formulated? And anytime we yeah. kind of try to put, like, one number on some something about us, it, mm-hmm. it's never like, well, that's not the whole story. Like, you hear a lot of people that will dispute BMI as yeah. a number that you can refer to as solid for, you know, a health indicator. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of the same story there where there's, Kind of some iffy science behind it, and but it's just kind of been adopted as something we accept, and mm-hmm. we kind of need these numbers and these indicators for certain things. Like the yeah. original, I believe it was a French uh, a French psychiatrist who originally came up with the IQ formula, and it was to determine if students should be in special services or should be in regular classes. Yeah. And uh, you know, they needed some sort of system for that.
1: Yeah, there are some scales and tests that are made to say, all right. You know, this is just a basic kind of get a general idea of where to go. And then they just get so harped upon and you get so caught up in them. And it really is, it like you said, it depends on a lot of how it's given. Was it um early, I forget when, but was there a great increase in the number of immigrants in the U.S.? There were some lobbies that said, no, 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 no. The immigrants that we're getting aren't smart. They're, oh, ouch. you know. <laughs> and but what they did is they made this test to prove it well you can't really see my quotes but you could kind of hear my quotes around that and so they wrote this test out and and it was in English and making lots of references to American baseball or you know essentially pop culture this is for people coming from outside the country so of course they might not do so well talking about what happened in third game of last year's season or who's dating who
0: yeah, that's kind so of they a, at used, their disadvantage.
1: Yeah, so they specifically did that in a disadvantage. Now, in that case, they wrote it for that purpose, but there could be lots of, <clears throat> pardon me, tests where it is sort of eked that way as well without it meaning to.
0: Huh. There you go. Interesting. And Heather has a link to uh, the uh, story on the IQ myth if you would like to read that because I know that got a few people's attention. Now, Heather, mm-hmm. yeah. we have a few stories here that, guess what? have some updates.
1: Yeah. um, Oh, sort of an update. We have Martian meteorites. We come across them every once in a while. Now, a new one, very rare, um, came up with minerals more than 10 times the amount of water than any previous Martian meteorite. Ooh. Now, it actually took a little bit of time for them to kind of recognize what this was. Because all the Martian meteorites that they have are, you know, they've got a green hue to them. This one is black, baseball-sized stone. Less than a pound, but it just looks so incredibly different from anything else. Found in Northwest Africa is actually the second oldest. Mm. There's 110 meteorites that we found that originate from Mars. This is the second oldest one. The only other old, older one is the ALH 8401. That is the one that they saw debate great debate about fossilized um little organisms that they had the debate on is yes that's evidence of uh-huh. ancient life on mars and then another part of the community said no that that's totally not uh, so right. that's the only older meteorite there is so what essentially this does is it gets us a standing point we see how much water was on mars at a specific point and it actually is more water than we thought hmm. um so it was kind of tweaking how the history of Mars went through. So it was, it was interesting kind of, all of these kind of give us a, a posting, a post-stop along the map of what happened in the history of Mars. How fast it lost its atmosphere, how fast it lost uh, you know, its water. Yeah. So we kind of, each one of these, we kind of adjust the model of what's going on.
0: Right get a little, like, little so we, more info get a little bit a little bit of the puzzle as it were
1: yep and get a little bit better idea of uh what happened
0: piece by piece mhm all right well uh, let's head up to mars what do you say you ready yeah let's and go lift off of the atlas V with curiosity Touchdown confirmed we're safe on mars it's a it's a all right okay. So, yeah, totally
1: talked about this earlier. Still excited now. Yep.
0: All right. So, we got a little curiosity update, don't we?
1: Yep. Now, actually, we had a holiday break. Scientists need holiday breaks sometimes, too. What? They had a They had a first, their first three months of that mission were kind of hard, kind of tough. So, they actually got to have a little bit of a break. Oh So, even though it's been a long time, only so much has happened. We had a nice big drive of about 10 feet. That brought the missions, they have actually went a total of 2,303 feet. So now they're in this little area where it's kind of flat, lighter tone terrain from where they were, where they spent the first four months. So over the holidays, they took a lot of imaging, kind um, of decide where they wanted to go, what they wanted to do. Uh, what's that? And on January 3rd, they actually reached out the arm. So they could start looking at it and they're working on getting the, they've used their dust removal brush. Essentially they reached up to a rock and dusted it really well so they see the rock underneath without the dust on top. And they're looking to do the drilling, first drilling into a rock very soon. So they kind of found a new place, then started staking out the whole area to decide what they wanted to do and they're starting the new science for the new year.
0: Wow, and uh, do you know? Uh, th- did they do the transition away from that already happened? Where they transitioned away from Mars time, right?
1: Uh, yes, they're actually on Earth time now. They were yes. only okay. going to do Mars time for the first three months.
0: Okay, okay, and yeah.
1: we ran into month four and five now.
0: Okay, okay, that makes sense. And they have yeah, so like- they
1: actually be they actually get to you know wake up with the sun yeah. and go to sleep with the sun. <laughs>
0: Yeah, good for them. Well, very cool. Can't wait to hear uh, more about what it's up to throughout the year. Yes. Heather, why don't we jump in the time machine? Are you ready?
1: Let's go. All right, close the door. Here we go. Okay. Okay. Yep. Ooh, hoo, hoo. Ooh. this is we a quick You can it nice one. and dusted, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I even charged it up, I, but I didn't need to really charge it. We didn't go that far. Take us, no, uh, we did Takes us to just 14 years ago, January 9th, 1996. This week in science, what happened?
1: 1998, two teams of international collaborations of scientists announced that they had discovered two galaxies accelerating, going apart from each other at faster and faster speeds. They were accelerating. They weren't just... So there was the... It was sort of the breakthrough of the year, um, cosmological constant. Einstein said, all right, here is the universe, here's what it's doing, except... There is some constant. This is my equation. However, it's not adding up. So Mm. it must have some constant. We'll call it, you know, X, which means that the universe is going faster and faster. Don't quite know why, but that actually makes it work. Okay. Einstein went back and said, oh, man, that's my biggest blunder ever saying that. Yeah. And except they actually proved it. And it was funny because they only proved it 14 years ago. It almost surprised me that it was so recent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're still figuring some of the stuff out, I
1: guess. <laughs> yeah, people they've got the you know, he you know, see these things and kind of say, I think this is the way things are. And now we're we just now have all the equipment where we're better able to analyze the universe, both on the the grand scale and the subatomic sub and you know, scale so that we can really get a better idea of what's going on Mm -hmm. and confuse ourselves even more in some cases.
0: Absolutely. I look forward to it. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me recalibrate the side by 2000 here. So that way we can look up into the sky this week.
1: Alrighty. Wednesday, January the ninth at dawn, low in the Southeast. uh, Venus will actually be near the crescent moon. And the moon this week is just a little silver, almost like a smiley face more than a crescent. And Venus in general will be rising about 45 minutes before sunrise, low in the the eastern sky. Mars will be close to the end of sunset, low in the southwest. And there is a star, uh, Fomalhaut, to its left. So there'll be two brighter objects. I only indicate that because there's two objects there. Mars is on the right because the right is the right planet. Gotcha. So and Jupiter, because we all like Jupiter, Mm -hmm. after sundown, it'll actually be the first quote unquote star to appear in the east, climbing high to the southeast after dark. And there'll actually be an orange star near it, but that is um, a star Aldebaran, not Mars. And it'll be at its highest point about 9 p.m. local time, wherever you are. And Saturn, should you be a night owl? not just a gamer, but somebody that goes outside at 2 a.m. <laughs> um, Saturn will be rising in the east to southeast, be, you know, middle of the sky, not too high in the southeast. But right now the rings are at an angle so they're the most visible in the last seven years. So you're able, so it's got this rings and it sort of has a tilt. Think of a, a plate. Okay. You're looking straight at it or you could tilt it. and You could see more of the plate. So that's essentially what happens is Saturn, you can see whether it's just straight on or tilt the plate towards you, and you can see a lot more of the surface. Very cool, Heather. Yeah. No, cut blisk. I wasn't saying gamers don't leave our houses. I'm saying that <laughs> not many of us want to go out at 2 a.m., at least forget, that's speaking online.
0: She's a gamer who plays late often.
1: Yes, but 2 a.m. is when I'm trying to go to bed. Then.
0: I hope so. I hope so. All right, or Heather. Well, I think that's our whole show, isn't it? I think so. Well, uh, I want to give a quick mention because uh, the author is in the chat room tonight. It's always fun because we have, you know, we do this show live. Mm -hmm. And uh, not Bryant joins us in the chat room and he's working on an app. It's called Callisto. And uh, it's just, this might be a great way for folks to get Jupiter Broadcasting on the go on their Android app. You can go over to Callisto app or just search for Jupiter Broadcasting in the Android Play Store. And I just want to give that a mention because, uh, you know, you might want to maybe catch up on those episodes uh, back catalog from Cybite and you can find them in there. But Heather, that's all I yeah. had. So thank you for the great show. Thank you. And uh, folks, go follow Heather on Twitter. She's twitter.com slash mars underscore jb underscore mars underscore base. Yes. There you go. And uh, she'll tweet about stuff she's up to. Otherwise, you can join us live on Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. Pacific over at jblive.tv. And uh, take part in our chat room and chat along with us as we go. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of SideBite. We'll see you right back here next week.